Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog. My name's Panos, and today, my guest, Dan, from Hooked on Hounds and co-host of Dog Talk. Welcome, bro. How are you? How are you? Good, thanks, mate. Yourself? Very, very good. Thank you. I thought that's how I'm going to introduce guests from now on. Instead of going, hi, how are you doing, and get them to introduce, I'm going to do the professionalism here, so I'm stepping up my interview game. So I hope that's appreciated across the world. <laughs> Listen to you, guy. Doing our best. We have to be growing and learning each time we do this, right? But um, it's been... It's been really cool meeting you over the last couple of weeks um, at a rough track, and I want to get into a, a, a few different things with you today, but just for the audience, and don't have to go into a massive origin story, but give us a little bit of background about um, not only what you do now, but what got you into dogs, and just a little bit of backstory, because it's always really cool to to hear you talk about, and I've heard I've heard it a few times, and I want everyone to hear it again. That's <laughs> uh, not that interesting, mate. My, my missus got a more interesting story than me, but yeah, I suppose... Um, yeah, long and short of it. Um, so I was born back in the 80s, uh, not that long ago, believe it or not. Um, but, yeah, my grandfather had a cattle feed lot and he, uh, he used to breed Rottweilers back then. Um, so he's bred dogs. He, he's passed away a few years ago now, but he bred dogs my whole life. So there was Rottweilers, um, Alaska Malamutes, Beagles, ended up getting back into Rotties, got out of them once we had to have tails docked. So we, thought, we both thought they looked ugly. <laughs> um, so we got out. Do you of still there. think it looks ugly? Uh yeah, it's grown on me now. Yeah. So when um when my Roddy's like so I back on the farm there we used to um I used to do train the dogs what not to do you know jump fences chase chickens cows all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And we always had um dogs at mum and dad's as well and that that always changed mostly um cattle dogs uh, we had there and um my sixteenth birthday my my grandfather gave me a Rottweiler. And um, Jesse, and that's uh, yeah, she, she was awesome, mate. And uh, I used to go obedience every week. Dad would take me there between soccer training twice a week. He'd take me to obedience, and I'd train her. And it was a bit different then, um, you know. It was more a bit of yank and crank back then. And anyways, long story short, once uh, once she went, I couldn't do the, the Rodis with tails in white. She went to French um, Mastiffs, Doug de Bordeaux, uh-huh. and they, they were awesome. Yeah, uh, not great for inside. They go through windows really easy. <laughs> um, but uh yeah we got them had them here um and by that time i lived i moved on the property um and i used to do a lot of hunting with my cousin as well so chase a lot of um, feral pigs um and when we were on the farm i used to be the dog so when we used to have to get cattle in um we had yeah the roddies they hung around and done a little bit but not too much because already obviously you know the, the oldest cattle dog in the world right um, that was their original intentional purpose. Um, but, yeah, like if something broke, like you moving cows down to the yards and something would run, want to run the other way, it was, hey, Daniel, go chase that one. So I'd, I quickly learned if I ran behind this animal, it would run further and I'd never catch it. But if I kind of broke out on an angle and got around it, what we call heading in a dog, I could that cow would stop so I relieved pressure on it, being a flight animal. I wasn't behind it. I got in front of its eye. So you mean heading would be? like coming out from from the side and then turning the direction or just doing yeah. the action of getting around him? So anywhere further than a 45 from the back of that beast's eye. So okay. if I was running behind its backside, rather than run it, run at it, if I ran on a 45 or wider, I'd relieve pressure off that animal so it, and catch up a bit quicker so it would stop running as fast and give me an opportunity to get in front of it, turn it around and walk it back down the fence. So. Yeah. Well, my grandfather bought some pretty decent cattle there for a while. He went down a line of some stud Charolais and he spent a fortune on these cattle and old mate gave him 
um, a dog, an old Kelpie dog there, which I thought was awesome. Going back now, I realised how terrible he was. Um, but, you know, if um, cows and calves, if a cow come at us, he'd, he'd take it on and grab it on the nose and turn it around. And, you know, so I always had this love for dogs. And um, when um, I used to be a sales rep in the earth moving field, so I'd travel the, the whole state. I had a bit of a major account manager role. And when, um, you know, come coming backwards a few years now, I had my own kids here and I'd be on on the road and I'd get home and on a Friday and Friday afternoon and I'd get in the car with my cousin would go hunting all weekend and the ex-wife kind of wasn't too happy with that. I was never really home a lot, but that was my like kind of, that was my pub time. Yeah. So um, stopped all that and I thought, oh, you know what, I always wanted a working dog after that little Kelpie back on the farm and bought that, got one and I used a, need a smaller dog for my daughter as the excuse because we had the French Mastiffs. <laughs> Anyways, this dog would all get, I'd go missing all the time, this little Kelpie, his name was Leroy. And um, you'd have always before work, you know, I'd let my dogs out, go for a run, and all my dogs would come back and he'd go missing. And he'd be down the back of my place. We're only on a small block here. I think we're on 15 acres here, maybe a little bit bigger. And he'd always have the sheep and my goats in a corner, right down the back corner, and just running around them, which is what we call ringing. So they just uh-huh. run ringing them and round them and round them. And I thought, oh, I've got to get in this dog's head. And the techniques that we used to use on our hunting dogs, we can use a little bit more compulsion because they're more of a, a harder-headed dog, this, this dog just it, it wasn't working for him, you know, and I quickly learned I was going to break this little fella. So um, I went down to the local. I got met a um, – I, I can be a bit cheeky at times, and we're down the river with the family, and there's this other little Kelpie pup running when this dog was a bit smaller, and I said, oh, what's this? And I, I sent this dog, and he went running after this other dog, and they started playing, and I got to meet the lady that owned him, and she goes, oh, you should come down to the local herding club. And I, I just thought it was a bit of a G up, to be honest. I, I never heard of it. So when this dog got a bit older and I, I remembered that and I went, oh, so I did a bit of research and I found it. Um, so I went down there and um, I'm not going to take credit away from anyone. Like there's there's some fantastic people down there and they're all volunteers. So I learned that I probably wasn't going to learn what I wanted to there, but it gave me access to some of the best trainers are in this country through training schools. So mm-hmm. I learned what I wanted, but I just thought there had to be a bit of a different way. I thought, oh, it's a bit of a city slickers approach to it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You mean the fact that they're, hurt, they're doing a herding trial and not just herding for real? Is that what you mean? Oh, that, um, no, I was watching their dogs. Uh-huh. And it was all just training. They call it train, a trial club, but it's more of a training club. But I just watched the control they had over dogs, and I went, I don't think they're trying their best, but I think it could be done a bit different. It's not what I've seen. Growing yeah. up, like along, like I've been very spoiled growing up as well. Like uh, my dad used to, and my family, obviously with a bit of a European background, we don't mind doing a bit of hunting. So we'd go to different properties, and I'd often see dogs work, and I could see the, the control over them, the respect they had for the handlers, or, or the owners, or the farmer, or the cocky as we call them now, and um, we'll always call them, I suppose. Um, so I just knew that there was a disconnect somewhere in what I was being shown, what was in front of me. And what I know the capabilities are of these dogs. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so a lot of um, um, there's a lot of good, there's so many good handlers in this country. And, and um, one handler sent, was running a, a training school, and a lot of the people from this club were going. So I went there and I was like, well, this is what I want. Like, I know what I want. And I happened to be given another dog in that time that was bred very well. And uh, the deal was, 
I had some sheep here and I had dorpers and they can be a bit hard on a young dog, like want to really drive them into the ground, just be a bit rough on them. And I've got a friend that owned property at West Wylong and he said he gave me some sheep um, to – well, the deal was I wanted to buy some sheep, some softer merinos so they wouldn't hurt my, dog, my young dog. And he goes, if, if you train my dog, I'll give you the sheep. So, so, so I've spent a heap of time with this dog. I've taken it with me in his training school. They've asked me, well, am I interested in trialling or anything? I said, no, nah, it's not for me. I just want to know what's going on. Um, I got back from that school and I rang my mate and said, oh, we've got an issue. He goes, what's that? I said, uh, I need to send his dog back. He goes, what's he done? I said, nothing. I, I'm falling in love with his dog <laughs> and I can't, I, I can't give it back to you. So I want to give it back to you now. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, keep the dog, keep the sheep. Right. Yeah, he goes, he's known me since I was in nappies, this bloke, um, and he um, is actually a neighbour uh, of my grandfather's. He just happened to have a way bigger property out west there at West Wollong, and um, I still love him a pup too. So, Vince, if you listen to this, uh, I haven't forgotten about you, mate. Um, west Wollong is where my, my dad was born. Oh, really? Yeah. Real there you go. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Long story short, mate, I... Um, I had a few people ask if I was going to troll this dog, and I said, no, no, no. And then someone said, oh, I think you should have a go. And I had a go once, and I came third in my first troll in the Encourage, so the beginners, and Sweet. that was it. Booked. Nice. What made that school better than the other one? Like what made you more appeal? Like what what, what was the appeal to it? Um, mate, the takeaway, like just watching the um, watching his dogs and then go, all right, cool. And like, like I said before, like, no disrespect to to the club I was going to weekly. Um, they all tried their best in our volunteers, but I, I watched the level of control that they had, and I thought it was totally – it was apples and oranges compared to when I went to this school, right? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and then there after that, I've just been to a couple of different schools after that, um, and I'm very fortunate where I've become – when I go to a trial, I always get in, I get my hands dirty, I'll get in, I'll help let sheep out pack up at the end of the day, I'll always stay and help pack up. And a lot of the country's best to take me under their wings, to give me a bit of advice here and there. And then I've been invited out to so many different places and gone and spent days working with people. And there's no way of building um, stock handling ability and being able to read your dog like being out at real work, right? Yeah. Uh, and trialing is just the, the fun on the side and just to test yourself against some of the best stock people, men and women across the country. What are they typically um, judged on in a trial? Uh, so in a trial, so I, I probably do more yard trialing than anything. So that's when you're processing your sheep through the yard. So you might bring them through a drench race where we would look to vaccinate them or drench them, so worm them, uh, maybe check their teeth. So we load them into a drench race. That's when you might see the dogs backing the sheep, so running up their backs. Yeah. Yep. In, like so, in, that, in that long, thin. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so backing is the most effective way to get from point A to point B. The the work actually to create flow is done on the floor. So the dog might run up the backs of the sheep to the front, from the back to the front, drop in on the ground, and then run backwards through the sheep. And that's when the work's done because when you go past the eye of a flight animal, it will always want to go forward. Mm. So to move the sheep forward, for example, a lot of people think you've got to be behind them and push them. But if you actually were behind them and then walked a line, a bubble, say, around them, and walk straight back past them, and they had nowhere to go but Coming forward. Back. They would file forward like oh yeah, okay. they jump and they carry on because yeah. they had nowhere else to go as well. Because that's right. Like, so you yeah. ever see sheep through a gateway? Sometimes they'll run and they'll jump and they yeah. carry on. Yeah, 
because yeah, they they well that's the way to go and let's get let's get out of the pressure and let's let's go. Yeah, sure. So we put them for a drench race. Uh, then we put put them in a draft. So draft might be um, and the the judge at the beginning will do a um, a, a judge's talking. He'll tell you which ones he wants in and out. So you might have to draft um, the first two into a separate pen and all the rest out the side and the last one. So this simulates um, if we were um, drafting lambs from the from the mothers at time of weaning. So we might pull the lambs in the one paddock and the ewes into another. Uh-huh. That simulates that that environment. And then we might load a truck. So that simulates obviously loading a truck, but we might be loading a trailer or a back of a ute with anywhere from 10 to 15 sheep, it depends. And then you mm. get them all off and you put them away just like you're going to put them away in a paddock at home. So that's yard trialling. You've got three sheep trialling, which is kind of like when people ask me, you ever watch a movie, Babe, the pig? Yeah, long time ago, but yeah. <laughs> kind of like that, right, except you've got three sheep and you've got to put them around, you pick them up in an arena, put them around obstacles. So it might be um, a gap, a race, and then in a pen at the end, a bridge, over a bridge, and then a pen at the end. So that's three mm-hmm. sheep trolling, very technical. Then you've got utility trolling, which is a combination of both. So you've got 15 minutes to do what you would in a three sheep trial, but you have to do the yards as well. Yeah, to wow. me, that's the epitome of dog of sheep dogs. That's the yeah. ultimate. There's a closest then, to the real work, you mean? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Right? You mm-hmm. need a dog that's really good in the paddock so it can stay off the flight zone of its sheep but still have enough authority over its sheep to move it but then still get in the yards and all of a sudden that dog has to find another gear, mm. has to go up again, and then you come back into the paddock and has to drop a gear as well. Yeah, for and real. I suppose then we've got cattle dog trialling, which is moving cattle around some obstacles within an arena and then putting them in a pen as well or, or away. Yeah. Many That's awesome. I remember you were chatting last week and or maybe the week before and you said and you listened to our episode about our, you know, um, perspective and review of mustard dogs, and you're like, dude, what the hell? And I'm like, I have, you know, I have no idea, and I'm doing my best. So, um, it was one thing you said that, and it'll be good for the listeners to hear the correction that, um, we we're talking about the difference between kelpies and border collies and cattle dogs yep. for the work. Tell us the difference and the utility for all those three different dogs. So basically, um, or well, anyone that knows the behaviours of those two dogs, you know, uh. A border collie or a collie is like, hey, boss, how do you want the job done? And a cattle dog's uh, and a kelpie's like, hey, boss, this is how, hold my beard, this is how we're doing the job, right? Mm-hmm. Like, not kelpies aren't bred for obedience, right? Let's put it yeah. that way. They're yeah. bred for their individualism and in highly inter, um, intelligence to be able to do a job more yeah. on their own, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there was a comment there that kelpies were for sheep and um, cattle dogs were for cattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's, yeah, the names might make sound like that, but predominantly your sheep and your kelpie are your cattle dog are your sheep dogs. Sorry. Your collie and your kelpie are your sheep dogs, but still work cattle. And like up north, for example, they love their collies, like in Queensland. Mm-hmm. Love their collies, hard biting collies. So that when I say hard biting, if a cow takes a dog on, you know, and might a quick nip on the nose just to put a bit of authority. The cow then turns off the dog and the dog applies no more pressure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so predominantly you, your kelpie and your collie will work sheep and cattle, no dramas. Your cattle dog, they don't really have much. The ones I come across 
um, don't have a lot of mustering ability anymore. They're more, you know, your, your power dogs. Um, in saying that, there are some lines around here. There's a, um, a lady in Wagga that does a real nice job of preserving the line of, of the cattle dog. Um, but normally they're your enforcer. So a lot of people, you know, the price of a good, a good work dog is really through the roof at the moment. Probably come back a little bit to where it was last year. Um, but yeah, like, well, I think the record at the moment, well, the record at the moment for a Kelpie or a working dog in this country is $49,000. Yeah, wow. Um, but so yeah, that was that sold was last year. Um, so a lot of people are very careful where they put those particular dogs on cattle because they don't want them getting hurt. So they might use their cattle dogs, which are known for a bit of more law enforcement. Might go in, hit the head of a beast, so turn around, get out of the way, nip it on the back of the legs, get that movement, and then come back. So ah, uh, yeah, okay, that's right. So they use them as more as enforcement, but in saying that as well, they might run still run their kelpies or their collies with that pack, but they rely on the cattle dog to get that heavy shifting done sometimes. But it's probably more popular to see um, a predominantly kelpie or predominantly collie pack just with those particular traits within the variation of their own team. Well, that's very good that you clarified that for everybody and myself, so thank you, bro. <laughs> uh, you're welcome, mate. And it was um, and I haven't gone around to to listen to those episodes of your podcast, but you had a lot of the um the crew from Mustard Dogs on your um program, and yeah, that, that's all right. Maybe you want to save your ears from bleeding, hearing my voice too much. No, it's all right. You have yeah yeah you you provide a good show, and and I've listened to a few of your episodes, and um and I like the Thank structure, and, and and I love the fact that you're focusing it around you know what you're into, and 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 mainly the working dogs, which is which is really cool. And, um, but I will come around to listen to them and then, and that way they're whoever liked the episode that we talked about muscles and you like, and you enjoy the show, then you should definitely go to dog talk and, and, and check that out. But, um, we, we met at rough track and how's, um, how long have you been at rough track for and what's your experience been like there? Yeah, but I just, just quickly, I can't take all the credit for dog talk either. My mate, Laura, um, yep. without her, there would be no dog talk my, and my co-host. So um, I just give her a quick wrap, mate, because there's no iron team. Um, Good so man. That, that, cool, mate. So rough track, been there for 18 months. Had an interesting day today. Did you? <laughs> rough track, actually, yeah, we did, mate. Um, I ended up driving the truck in with the dock dog trailer in there and trying to motivate a dozen young teenagers to to help sometimes is it, challenging. But hey, Dave, Dave and uh, and P and I and Ash got that done, and then uh, did you have a cattle dog? Sorry, did you, you, <laughs> get, you need to get the cattle dog in there. <laughs> oh, I could be I could be a bit stern when we have when I have to be. I could for sure I'm a bit of a larrikin, but when I go, all right, guys, like we need to get shit going now. Like, Definitely. Going. But then it got uh, they got all got hangry, and that was <laughs> uh, yeah, ten teenagers in KFC that uh, have been worked and very hungry got got interesting, but it was good. <laughs> it was entertaining and they real. really behaved themselves and, and re- were very respectful. So they've done rough track proud. That's awesome. Cause this weekend they're doing the dog lover show. Yeah, absolutely. They're down there doing the dog high jump and the dog dogs. Yeah. So, and How good's that? Do a bit of other stuff in, in amongst that as well. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah. We've been down there for 18 months now, mate. Um, you know, when we got down there, the dogs were probably a bit wilder than the kids. Um, but that's all right, mate. Nothing like a bit of structure, right? Yeah. And um, this year, the I think oh, I got half a dozen kids to attempt their first yard dog sheepdog trial. 
And what um, I actually happened to be um, judging that event. I think there was about 35 beginner handlers in that. Um, my, I was just amazing to – I was so proud of these kids. Yeah, they do well. Oh, they've done fantastic. And Perfect. Like even a couple of weeks ago, a mother reached out to us um, and sent me a personal message on our Hooked on Hounds page because she obviously didn't have my direct number. And uh, but actually, to be honest, it brought a tear to my eye. I was here, here at the table having a bit of a sob when the missus gone because that's yeah, it was just so amazing to 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 get that feedback to that I've had that little bit of impact on somebody that was normally reserved in the shell. So that's the whole reason we go down there, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Look, it's it's such a good cause, and and it's a, such a pragmatic thing too. You know, um, you know, and and you offer the, the sheep herding, um, experience for them, and and look, and obviously something for like from my perspective as well is that if there was a rough track in my area, we would not be doing sheep herding, and it's just so foreign to someone who lives, you know, in in the city, and and for it to be so normal, you know, and that's why I think it's so so fascinating. But for but when I see the kids doing the work, it's like. First of all, they know so much more than what I would that that I know, and also they they do it with so much with so much um like it looks effortless for them, and obviously you know you're coaching them in the right way, but they're really motivated to do it, and also it can be pretty intimidating to begin with having a dog and all these other animals in front of you, and to be able to have that control. Do you feel like that that bleeds over into other areas of their life in terms of the responsibility and the structure and things? I'd like to think so. Like that's the whole purpose, right? Where we're there. I know Dave's got a, a couple of sayings there. But, um, we're there to keep them out of jail, upskill them, and give them some social skills. Um, so I, I believe so. Yeah. Um, and there's no therapy like animal therapy, right? And um, yeah, I believe it gives some some time some term of accountability. And you're only going to get out what you put in. And watching some of these kids, they're just absolutely natural. Some of them just might not know how to come out of their shell, communicate effectively um, or what we call effectively, you yeah. know, um, and just to watch them grow and nurture and develop, it, it's it's pretty amazing. You know, a lot of these kids grew up in similar neighbourhoods to where I I grew up. Like, yep, I had a um, fantastic upbringing. Um, I mentioned the farm, but my parents um, are still in the same house in Blacktown where, where I was born. Um, but a lot of my friends were fairly underprivileged, um, you know, lived with older siblings or some of them just drifted. So I suppose that's why Rough Track kind of does hold special place with me because I don't know where some of those people went, some yeah. of those friends back there. I was very fortunate to go home to fantastic parents every night. Um, so, you know, if if I could be that that shoulder for some of those people to just to grow on, for them to just get a bit of, um, oh, I suppose, what's the word I'm looking for here, to... Um, to help them come out and just nurture and to um, build their confidence. You know, there, there's some great attitudes down there that just need to start. Yeah, definitely. It could, be, it could be tough for them as well. And also, like, you know, from my experience, the very little time that I've been helping out is that it's less of a teacher mode and you're more just like a, a more of a bigger brother, like an older cousin sort of feel. It's like, hey, I'm here, we're doing this thing together. Like, you can do it if you want or you can, like, go away. But like we're doing it, like I'm not going to force you to do it, and that would be ridiculous anyway. Um, but then to see them overcome, like, oh wow, look, look what I did, Panos! I did this with the dog, and I'm like, that's so cool. And for me, it's like whatever. But for them, they've accomplished something that they can see in front of them. I think like just that sh- short term gratification slowly becoming, you know, the long term gratification. I think it's good 
Oh, absolutely. And you got to flick through gears as well, right? Like no different to a good dog. Yeah. Like best mate one minute, motivated the next. Now you're like, mate, now you're nearly a teacher father figure. Like do it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I know you can do it. I'll give you a verbal kick in the ass, mm-hmm. right? a metaphorical kick in the ass. You can do it. You just need that bit of a push and then they have a crack and like, oh, wow, that wasn't that bad. No, it wasn't. Like, yeah. So, How many yeah, kids trialed? Kicking. 100%. How many kids trialed on that on that day? That day, um, so that was the first trial. That was six and four of them didn't want to do it. Yeah. And the next after that, so that was on the Saturday and the, the bigger event, the Open, was on the Sunday, which I was competing in. And I had a call on a Saturday night going, seven kids want to come and compete tomorrow. And I'm like, I, I, I can't. That's not, I can't have them compete tomorrow. We're in a big event. Like, you know, um, but, yeah, then they're like, well, when's the next trial? And, yeah. you know, they, that just that, that, like I said, that that verbal or metaphorical kick in the ass was just enough to get them over the edge for yeah. them to try it and then all of a sudden build on that. So really looking forward to the next time they can get out. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, look, you know, what, what Rough Track doing, we had we had Dave on a couple of weeks ago. It's that it should be, and of course, in every different, you know, climate that you're in, you know, w- whatever the skills are that you're teaching the kids, like if you're going to live out wherever you guys live, far away from here, then then being exposed to some sheepdogs and to some sheep is probably more appropriate because it, even if there was like, hey, I want to pursue this more, it's close to them where if you were to do that here, it's like, oh, I want to do that. And then you have to drive two hours every time to 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 herd some sheep. So, but I think in every socioeconomic area, there should be something that is providing this to the kids. And instead of like the basic, I'll give you some money, I'll give you an opportunity, it should be it's it's really community-based and they're all kind of there to help each other. And if there's a grander, a, a bigger picture for them to all kind of move towards, I think it's just such an awesome idea. And it's, it's been fun for me doing it and to also watch others you know, doing their thing is really cool as well. well. Abs- absolutely. Like I think if you just give them something then they don't earn it, they don't respect it. Um, so no different to your do- our dogs, right? Like they've got to work for their ball, their toy, their food, their taka, whatever it may be. Maybe if it really has to be my attention or my affection, yeah. if I don't think they're going to, you know, I think they're taking the piss out of me. Like and if you just give it to them all the time, they're just going to they're just gonna take advantage of them, you know. Yeah. Um, and off the back of that as well, there's a couple of kids there at the moment that are travelling pretty big distances. Like, there's a kid there at the moment travelling from the Central Coast. Yeah, wow. Come down track. Like, All right, there you go. That's perfect. in itself, right? Like, yep. that's amazing. Yeah. And speaking of, you mentioned um, how far, like, we're not that, as a crow flies, we're not that far, right? It's just traffic. That's true. But, um, yeah, exactly. But, mate, you yourself have got a sheepdog now, so you you can't say that them anymore. It's it's us now. No, yeah, true. That's true. Actually, we should. I haven't mentioned that on the on the podcast. So I took Chili down to Rough Track. So then at the end of my shift, helping out, um, Dan's like, "You're going to bring your dog and see see what we've got." And and I was pretty surprised how um his genetics just you know come to the surface and that play boom on on call. It was it was magnificent to see. It was like one we prepared earlier, right? A dental ad. Yeah. He did really well. I've been watching that video, um, you know, from time to time just to kind of see see him at work and he's thinking, but he's not thinking. It's it's a really it's really special to see, especially for someone who, you know, doesn't see dogs do their natural thing all that often. Actually, in fact, I always say to my clients, you know, our forefathers will be rolling in their graves, whoever created dogs, of what I'm making dogs do. You know, walk on a loose leash, focus on me, don't chase things, don't bite things. And it's like, isn't that what we made the dog to do? And now you're telling him and forcing him to do everything opposite. And I also feel the same thing about 
you know, our ancestors looking about us. It's like, you know, you, you guys aren't even hunter gatherers. What, what are you even doing? It, it's, it's pretty odd, but to see a dog do the thing that they were actually bred and made to do, especially the dog that you live with, well, it was really cool. And I, and I did make a comment that I need to get more sheep. I need some sheep in my backyard. <laughs> well, not, not, not even that. Like you mentioned there about him thinking but not thinking. Like if we gave him a couple of more times exposure and we got his stop rock solid, you watch, watch all of a sudden how calculative he gets, right? He'd be really thinking and all that work would just blossom, right? Yeah. But he's only going to learn from exposure, right? Of course. What did you feel like when, when like compared to like we'll say the average dog, what, did he respond? Like what was it that made him having his first go? Like what what was it that that you saw from that like in terms of attitude? attitude? Yeah. Attitude, man. He had attitude. And you're talking there about all the things that we're telling our dogs not to do before. What about when I'm going, mate, just let him make mistakes? Yeah, yeah. How that, how'd, you, how'd your head go then? Did it spin? Well, like in, in that moment, I felt like make it, let him make the mistakes because it seems like he knows what he's doing. Do you know what yeah. I mean? More so than, you know, you tell that dog how to lay down. Like, well, you're going to have to show him. He knows how to lay down, but you're asking him to do it with no intrinsic drive to lay down where um, for him to have to go clockwise or anti-clockwise, you didn't tell him in that moment directly go this way, go that way. You manipulated it through your spatial pressure and the way that, you know, you moved your body. Hey, guys, it's Luke. Uh, I just wanted to take a moment out of the podcast to thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, Obviously, we don't just do this show just to hear our own voices. We love the fact that you guys take the time out of your day to listen to our episodes each and every week. And on that note, if you are enjoying it, we'd really appreciate it if you took a moment to leave us a review or a rating on your favorite podcast listening app. So whether that's Spotify or Apple Podcasts, if you could hit pause on this episode and and go and leave a review or a rating on the platform that you're listening into, we'd really appreciate it. It helps other people like yourself find the podcast. Uh, and helps us to reach more listeners and, and hopefully grow the show and grow the community around it. So we'd really appreciate it if you could. And thanks for listening. Um, the cues will come later once he understands what the hell he's doing. But it just, it it made sense for him because you can see as well, when he ran into the middle of the sheep, he like kind of jumped back because it didn't work the way that he wanted to. He's like, that doesn't make sense. I want to move the sheep running into the middle of them didn't see like you can see he's like that didn't look right and then he kind of corrected himself and and i see that as well when i'm when i'm training with, with him like in like a, a ball session is that if i throw it for free too much he gets a shit he's like dude i need to like problem solve you need to tell me to do something don't just throw it like you got the shit he's like <clears throat> and i'm like oh yes yeah. so i gave him a range of commands and i rewarded him and he's like yeah that's better he wants to problem solve he wants to fix it and if we don't he's going back to like a pet dog situation if you're not giving your dog two things, an opportunity to problem solve, then they'll problem solve some other problem that they'll make up or they'll ad- identify in the world. But then also I thought about the other day when I was working chili is that your dog, especially working dogs and high drive dogs need, they have to be in a position where they need to rest. Not that they should be able to rest, that they have to be so worked mentally, physically that they need to rest and be put up for a bit rather than most dogs. Need so to learn they need to learn to be bored, right? Yeah, true. Yeah. Absolutely. Like they, they need to learn that there has to be no getting these dogs to switch on is the easy bit. It's making them t- teaching them to switch off and just chill out. Right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's easy. And 
and that conversation uh, like I had with Chili when we're working, like that non-verbal conversation of I'm shifting this way, you're shifting that way, and you get it right, it starts to look like a bit of a dance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just something to that, like, you know, you're not in control of that reward. Well, you are to a degree, but that reward can run away. And I suppose this is one of the only disciplines where intelligent disobedience is allowed. So I heard you saying that and um, when you were speaking to Michael Ellis, actually, in fact, I haven't even mentioned on the show, but um, we saw Michael Ellis on the weekend and it's like, oh, my God, that's amazing. <laughs> and then you, you guys are talking about that exact thing. It's like, oh, when the dog is um, disobedient for a good reason, you need to let that happen. I want you to elaborate on that. But then Michael's head was like, man, that blows my mind. I, I, that would give me freaking anxiety, you know, because, like, you know, there's a control freak of all of us in, in terms of, you know, being a, you know, an animal trainer. You know, you're in control and you want to create control in every situation. And can you elaborate a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, I suppose that came up because um, we were having a chat there with Michael and I was fortunate enough that a couple of my friends um, from Dubbo were actually down as well and are very open-minded to different training approaches. And they um, actually own a dipping business, so they're moving sheep and dipping them for um, for mites or whatever it may be. Um, so they're using dogs in the yards all the time and they're very open to different methods. So we're talking to Michael about like- What, what are they, they dipping them for? So that, um, when they um, um, so they don't get fly strike or they don't get mites in their wool, uh-huh. or whatnot, so they, they dip them. They have them like a cage and they dip them and bring them back up. So they have them in a chemical solution. Yeah, yeah. and a few different things like that. And then they might do like a bit of um, um, drenching or foot pairing or, or all different kinds of sheep husbandry. Oh, cool. And, um, we're talking to Michael about what we do here and what we do here. I suppose we're, you know, we we just do, I suppose, look after a lot of away from our um, our behavioural and rehabilitation stuff of reactive and aggressive dogs. We we offer herding lessons and uh, we get a lot of dog trainers come here with their their working dogs. And Michael said, "How's that go?" And I said, "Dog trainers are the worst sheep dog people there are. Stop dog people." I said, "Because they're control freaks. They don't let their dogs make mistakes." I said, and Intelligent disobedience is something here that is so important for us because if I ask my dog to drop to relieve pressure off my sheep, for example, we're going to work sheep in this scenario, and one of those sheep decide to run away, so what we call break, that dog's going to read that energy and that movement way quicker than what I can, especially if my energy is looking at opening a gate, for example. So I don't want that sheep to run away. Every time that sheep runs away, I'm going to get pointed, so I'm going to lose points for my judge. So we start with 100. And we work backwards. So I want that dog, if a, a sheep looks like running away, I want that dog to break that downstay or drop and go and cover that sheep to hold it with the mob and then release pressure again. And that's when Michael said, but you're not telling the dog to do that. It's been disobedient. I said, that's right. That's where the intelligence come in. And he goes, man, that will do my head and I yeah. can't do that. <laughs> and that's where I, I mentioned earlier, it's very hard with dog trainers that I said they come here. I've actually had this conversation with a mate last night as an exceptional dog trainer and in the last couple of years has got into working dogs. And while we were at the Michael Ellis School, he went to another school that one of my mates from Ningen that was staying here was hosting locally. And um, he's like, you guys just, it blows me how you can just let this stuff happen. But we, we have to let it happen because we aren't in the position to read the stock, in this case the sheep, as quick as what the dogs can. So we have to allow, we have to work as a team. We can't make a dictatorship. Mm-hmm. And um, Would you lose points in a trial if 
he this if he was disobedient to get the sheep back? Well, I don't really. If I'm judging a trial and someone asks their dog to sit or drop and it doesn't sit or drop, I don't mark. I don't. Where we're, it's there for a sheepdog trial, not an obedience trial, so I yeah. don't point it. But in saying that, if that dog comes forward and there's an effect, it causes the break, then I'm going to point it. Uh -huh, I get you. I said, when we're working livestock, it doesn't matter if it's sheep, cattle, goats, ducks. I don't give a shit if it was chickens. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. right? At the end of the day, we've got to remember we're not actually working a dog. We're working the livestock. Yeah. So we should, if we're watching the livestock, the livestock will tell us if our dog's in the right spot or not. And that's another reason why I don't talk to my dogs a lot. Like I haven't brought them down a rough track, but I've got five-month-old dogs that are working. Like like you've seen Jay of mine, for example, right? He's an 18-month-old dog, nearly fully broken. When I say broken, broken in. So he <laughs> understands all my, my requests and what some would call commands, but I've got requests before commands. I'm going to ask before I tell you. And, and they're working exactly the same as the way I started with Chili the other day, just that conversation off my body. And my main thing is to educate them to work the stock, not tell them how. So then when I think they may need to be clockwise another foot more than what they naturally pulled up, I can go left and they can drift there and then I can stop, stop them. But naturally I want them to educate them to read the stock and work the stock because I mm -hmm. want to work, work the stock, not the dog. So if I go to working the dog, that expectation goes up, my excitement goes up. What happens to my dog? He goes up as well. Up. Yeah. And then, then that whole energy we have out there is going to upset the sheep as well because then they've got an energy and then they've got a flight zone. So their flight zone expands. And all of a sudden we start to impede on that flight zone. Guess what they start doing? Run away. Oh, yeah. So when you're moving sheep from A to B, you're the thing that the sheep, the sheep want to come to you to relieve the pressure from the dog? No. No. Only well-trained trainer sheep because more – so you know how we've all got like this this bubble around us? And you ever down a pub and you have that person that talks really close up in your face and you step back? Yeah. So let's imagine this is – this is we call this a flight zone and every every animal has this zone where some, it doesn't feel close when people get – when something gets to a certain point. But the more it's exposed to something – the shorter that zone gets, right? That flight, that flight yep. zone, that bubble. So the way I explain this to people is, when you're a kid, you ever have a have a balloon and you just sat down and you tapped it from one hand to the other? Yeah. Tapped it from one hand to the other. Well, imagine these sheep or cattle, whatever it is. Let's use sheep for this example, so they're easier and they're fluffy. Have got this flight, this big, they're this big bubble around your whole mob. With our dog, all we want to do is massage that bubble, say on one side, pat it, so they shoot the other way. And if we want them to go the other way, we put the dog around the other side. We massage that bubble to go the other way. The minute that dog runs into that bubble, pop, all your sheep scatter. Hmm. So for low-stress stock handling, and all our farmers are paid well, for their animals based on what they weigh. So the more they run, the more uh, weight they lose. The more stress they are, the more weight they lose. So you want to do everything as slow and steady as possible, but we're still on the clock, right? Because one thing we all lack and can't buy is time. So yeah. we still need to get the job done. So we want to just manipulate that flight zone to shift stock in as less stress as possible rather than just have them running everywhere and be bashing them around, right, because that's not fun on anyone. Does that kind of answer? Yeah, and then what about you? You in that, do, is there a, do the sheep look at you for anything? Yeah, so when once we start to train our dogs, and to train dogs well, we need educated sheep as well because otherwise if we, if we had sheep, 
They just want to run all the time. Well, our young dogs aren't going to learn anything, but just to get around and maybe some that are excited are going to learn to chase, not work. But then there's other dogs, those pups that haven't grown legs yet, you know, that like my five-month-old pups, they're, they're getting around their sheep, but they haven't got the speed to keep up with them if they're running. So mm-hmm. we want to use some well-trained sheep. So well-trained sheep means just with the older dogs, I've worked them down a bit so that flight zone's reduced so they're not as runny. So when those pups go around those sheep, they look at the, and they, they come forward, those sheep go, oh, predator or pressure, and they kind of come towards me and they learn, oh, wait a minute, you're a relief. So I'm safe mm. with you so they can stick closer to me. So the sheep have to learn that. They don't know that. Correct, yeah. Mm. That's why I, I educate my sheep, um, my trainer sheep. I keep all different kinds of sheep here at home for all different levels of dogs. But I have my trainer sheep. They won't come running to my legs because I, I like my knees and I don't yeah. like sheep like that. Um, but it's all about the way we educate them. But unless that dog wants to move forward, those sheep won't move forward. And when that dog applies enough pressure, those sheep will come towards me and go, I'm safe here because mm-hmm. Dean's not going to let those dogs. Too close and bust the bubble. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't want harassing them, right? And because they're like they're herd animals, like, you know, in their big yeah, herd animals. Is um, so, What's that? Safety in numbers. So, yeah. If you Not got enough. 50% of those trained ones, got rid of them, sold them, and then put another 50% new ones into that, and the 50% of them are educated, they know they've been trained, will the other sheep follow those educated ones? Does it work like that? You ever heard we become our herd? Yeah. Doesn't change in animals, mate. Sure. So uh, at first they might be a bit skittish, as we would be. Yeah. Then over time they learn to, they, they're watching these others educated sheep and they become similar right so when i every day when i bring my sheep up when i've got when i'm if i'm we're doing some herding here i draft my sheep into trainer sheep intermediate and not and what we call fresh or runny sheep so so that way any dog i come normally i know where it's at and i can go are we going to use those sheep or we're going to use those ones or we're going to use them ones so and is it no like way. a 50-50 or could you be like even 25% of them are educated, will the other 75% know to follow? So I've probably got half a dozen real quiet ones, another 15 in the middle and then another another 10 to 15 real runny ones. Yeah. That way, I, that way I can train my own dogs as well for any scenario when I go to any trial. I, uh, like, so I'm yeah. going to get nice pet sheep when I go to a trial, right? Sure. They're going to come from off a farm. But if I just trained our clients' dogs on, my, on runny sheep to start with, they're not going to learn anything. So I'm constantly, I've got a core group of trainers, and then once my, my say, my intermediate sheep get too quiet, I might get rid of them, and by that time, my quiet sheep have become intermediate, and then I go and buy fresh runny sheep. So I'm always rotating. I'm always at the sale yards rotating. Uh, yeah. I've got so many questions about sheep. How, how, how long do sheep live for? Oh, mate, I don't know. So the first, so when sheep are born, they're born with lamb's teeth. And then every year they get two new teeth from that middle out. Oh. So once they're four years old, they'll have eight big teeth. And they only have teeth on the bottom, not the top. No right. teeth at the top? No, no teeth at the top. Well, oh, the shit. Um, well, what's at the top then? Just like gums? Just gums, yeah. Yeah, well. Um, and that's how what allows them to get so close to the bottom of the ground as well. Oh, that makes so sense. All the way to the bottom, which is why we have to worm our sheep fairly often, especially at the moment in where we live here because it's coastal grass and the temperate, like 
through a drought and then flood and everything's all over the shop. So I'm always worming my sheep to keep them alive and then feeding them fantastic as well, right? Um, Do the dogs get the worms from the from the sheep? No, nah, I, I don't see that, mate. Okay, cool. um, and they're not eating my sheep, right? They're just working them. No, but like if they contact with their shit though, because like I see the dog. Uh, well, I suppose they could, yeah, yeah. I suppose they could. So okay. put it this way: if I was, if I went out west and I bought some kangaroo meat back for my dogs, I'd freeze the kangaroo before I fed it to my dogs yeah, okay. to kill any any worms in my in, yeah. in the meat as well, right? So yeah, okay. I, I suppose that, that could be the case as well. So we're saying about the first lot of teeth at oh, yeah. one years so old. So we talked about age, yeah. So I'll, I'll start from the middle, the middle out. So when they got two teeth, they're a year old, um, four teeth, two years old, three teeth, and so on and so forth. Um, and you normally get anywhere from eight to ten years from sheep. So they have so a ten-year-old sheep will have ten rows of teeth. No, no, no. They stop it. They stop at eight big teeth. So after that, you can't tell. You can only tell by uh, looking at the teeth and how they're worn. So when sheep get really old, if they're being on, if they're on good food and they're really well looked after, the only thing that is going to, um, I suppose, deteriorate their health is their ability to eat. So their okay. teeth might get loose and fall out, and you know, and then you can see they're starting to get old and they can't chew their food anymore. Yeah, legit. Yeah. That's crazy, and and I know this is a fact. Like you know, babies when they're born, all their adult teeth are in their skull somewhere, like up underneath their eyes. So if you do like a, a an X ray of a baby, their adult teeth will be up under their eyes and up the top of their face there, and they push down. That's how their their teeth come out. And the same with dogs. Do, do you know if it's the same with the sheep? They have all those teeth stored in their face. I could make something up, but I wouldn't. I'm gonna Google that shit later. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know that. That's cool. There you go. Um. It's really fascinating find stuff. Out, though. Yeah, definitely. Find that out. That's pretty uh, easy. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's all really cool. I love the fact that you have dogs that actually have a real job, um, you know, and it and it's something that you know we want to educate to all the dog owners as much as possible. Like, you know, just all the all the cute, funny things that your dogs do are usually predatory behaviors. Like, you know, when your dog squeaks a squeaky toy, it's like thinks it's dying, it's killing a little baby animal, and they're like, oh my god, I'm horrified now. Or like, you know, playing, you know, when you throw the ball, he's like chasing prey. And they're like, oh, my God, I thought it was innocent. I just thought he'd love chasing balls. I'm like, there has to be a reason for it. I just think that. Animals, right? They were once upon a time wild. Like, that's like, I love when people get a ball or a tug when they're trying to throw in the dog's mouth. I go, have you ever seen a rabbit run into a dog's mouth? That's like even the greyhounds, right? The rabbit runs away. It doesn't doesn't run to them because they wouldn't chase it. It's a predatory instinct. Yeah, it's true. Well, I guess that kind of ties in a little bit to like, you know, motivating young people is like give them the thing or make them work a bit for it. You, you value the thing you work for that you chase because, you know, that that's it's just hardwired in our brain, you know. But we do this as men, don't we? Right? We're, you know, we're courting women. We're, you know, we're, we're following, we're chasing. Like that's what, that's part of nature. That's what we yep. do, right? You don't that's just true. wake up and you're married. Like mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't happen like that. And I think even if you, if you if you had it all, and if your dog did have all the food, all the toys, all the affection, all the shelter, why is it that all the dogs that I see that get all that aren't you know fulfilled and happy? It's because they 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 need a bit of challenge, they need a bit of struggle. It's a struggle that kind of makes everything make sense, um, and and that comes on like on a neurological level, not even just on a psychological level, because we all want we I guess a bit of a paradox, but we all want to be comfortable, but being too comfortable is what kills us. So. <laughs> We've got to find our place in the world, right? And it, it's better earned than given. Yeah, true. You appreciate it more. 
hundred percent. Talk to us a little bit about. Um, you said that you have board and train um, services for reactive and aggressive dogs. How long have you been doing that for? And how do you find working those dogs and like and the clients that are associated with those dogs compared to the sheep herding stuff? Yeah, look, it's a bit different. Um, so I suppose um, publicly we've only been doing it for 18 months. Um, my partner Natalie and I started Hooked on Hounds. Um, we started to see so many dogs come through and we're just like, this isn't right. Like pe- people need some help. So we started doing some sessions and then we got um, a call for, can you take my dog for some time and give it a boot camp? And we're like, oh, I'm, I'm not an army drill master or anything <laughs> like, you know, but, hey, I, I think we can do something. and. That just kept growing and growing, and I suppose we got um well, we've got four employees now. I've got another one starting on Monday, uh, Tuesday next Tuesday. Um, so basically, yeah, look, we haven't got any magic fairy dust or wands. We we can't, you know, just uh, magically crocodile Dundee and fix these dogs. It, it doesn't start like that, right? But what we what we do do we we start with a program. It all revolves around our recall. We get those dogs moving, like, and most of the time, those dogs that are reactive or aggressive, it's because they're scared of something, right? So rather than pick up their feet and walk away from that pressure. They go harder at the pressure. They apply pressure to pressure to make the pressure move off them, to make themselves mm-hmm. feel big and comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then one, so once upon a time that might have been a growl and then it was a bark and then it was a bite. So the dog goes, I'll just go to the bite now. I won't worry about the growl. True. So it's teaching those dogs just to move their feet, right? Move your feet. And then then working on a recall and we've got different methods of how we do that. We handle a, our main tool here is a slip lead. We handle that very different so how most people think, you know, you're yanking and cranking. That's not what we do at all. Um, I won't get into it. We could stay all day talking about this mm-hmm. program. So we apply that program. We put reps. We build consistency. Consistency builds reliability. And we then we expose to different elements. So I call them magnets or triggers, things that these dogs find more interesting than me, things they're reactive to. And I want them to do it in a responsive state, not a reactive state. So And they can't do that out in front of me either, right, because out in front of me, well, now they're leading our expedition. And now they've got to be reactive to their surrounds and I've got to be responsive. But if you're walking next to me, well, now you let me take the world, weight of the world on my shoulders, I'll be responsive. I'll be reactive, but I'm not going to tell you that and I'm not going to show you that. you just be next to me in a responsive manner. So then we might, um, you know, you talked about my dogs having real jobs. Well, my dogs don't do a lot of too much. We don't do, other than working stock here, we might do an occasional bit um, out at other people's places, but not a lot. But my dogs really help me now with these reactive dogs. So once I have these dogs in this program really looking for me, like always look, I play this little recall game where I just run away, run away, and I get these dogs looking down a rope, looking me in the eye. I go, all right, cool. Now let's bring in those stresses, right? Let's let's change environments, right? And as what we could have, would have called red environments before, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce those dogs to that, but before it gets to red when we're in that amber zone, Let's recall. Let's work. Let's work. And I keep them in that zone. And then I break those distances down so that those red zones are no longer red zones. But now we need to do that in all different environments. We need to do it with different handlers. So I suppose off the back of what you asked there, well, once we get these dogs to a point that we we got that, that's normally within a couple of weeks, you can normally get it. The the real aggressive ones, we give them a little bit more time. Um, And then it's training the handler right and let's be honest that's probably where most of this focus is yeah and not even more so so like we're educating the dogs but we're probably training the, the owners yeah right the dogs already know how to recall right they already chase each other most of the time they run up to each other run away run up to each other run away 
a lot of these dogs probably haven't been socialized to learn how to be dogs properly yet, right? And they go, ah, oh, that's scary. Woof, woof, woof. Like, mm-hmm. hey, let's teach us not scary. Yeah. Let's educate the people. And that's where, that's where a lot of it is. And not just the education of, hey, this is how we train your dog and this is what we do, but the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, expecting a different result, right? So when you, let's get a picture of what's happening at home. Okay. Now you don't need to change something because otherwise if you didn't have to, you wouldn't be with us. Yeah. So let's have a chat about your environment. Okay. This is what your dog can and can't do. Let's make some changes and let's do this from now on and let's see how that goes. Right. If, if that's not 100% working with you, what can we do next? Yeah. You know, but the dogs aren't losing that program. That program's already in there. Mm-hmm. Now it's implementing it in as many possible, as different scenarios as possible, right? And I'm sure you get this a lot like, oh, so if I bring my dog to you, then, you know, everything will be sorted. And what, like, what do I have to do? Is there, um, how much of a process do you do in terms of the training of the people once they come to pick the dog up? Yeah, mate, every time there's a dog here for board and train, we won't let it leave a dog out here without a two to three hour handover. Mm-hmm. Um, and off the back of that, that's asking many times, have you got any more questions? Yeah. What What else do you want to know? Have yeah. you got any more questions? No? Okay. Our, you got our number. You've got all the forms of our communication, whether it be, and I'm not I'm not much of a messenger or a Instagram or all that. Oh, I love my phone calls. I'm a bit old school like that, but... Give us a call with any problems. Let's do it. have a follow-up session booked in. Yep. Where, where are we doing here? So we leave, they leave with a big folder, big handover folder with a training plan, an itinerary, like a, a journal of what that dog's done with us every day, some tips. Um, we spend a lot of time on well, Mrs. spends a lot of time on those training plans as well. Um, so I suppose like coming from a, a I suppose, a earth-moving background, a product support kind of role, right? Like, like. The product is how the dog goes out, right? So if we just went, hey, cool, here's your dog, see you later, where's the support in that and how is that going to be followed up? So we make sure they're comfortable with what we teach them. And obviously I hate talking, so I talk really fast. I try and get out as much information as possible. And then, um, yeah, and and then we're just following up how we're going, what's going on, where where are you at? Okay, let's troubleshoot. How can I help you? What's changed? Okay, so... Maybe something hasn't changed. Did we speak about this before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's always there's always something to keep you going, and uh, I suppose, it's, you know, there's a lot of emphasis put on the owner. Hundred percent. Yeah. Look, I, I I um obviously don't do board and train myself, but there are certain situations where a lot of the times the dog needs to have the experience, even though you know they the handler, the owner's working on their skills, their understanding, we're managing and mitigating and, you know, desensitization and doing all the stuff that we have to do. But sometimes, especially like with like real serious kind of dog reactivity or, or aggression more so and um, and like and towards people as well, as sometimes giving the dog a brand new experience, giving them, you know, four to six weeks to kind of like reset, you know, learn new skills away from what they're used to and then doing that transfer over, um, you know, and remember most of us, you know, in, in, in the balance space, most of us and the ones that we mostly, we kind of all train very similarly is that, you know, we're not too heavy on the pressure, but we're not too, we, we still utilize food and, you know, we, we use what, what's most appropriate, but I think um, it's good, you know, and, and in the experience that I've had when I've had to like, you know, refer a dog out to a board and train is that, you know, um, just a reminder for everybody listening is that it's not just a, you just fix your dog and you get the dog back fixed. That makes no sense. It's about giving the dog an experience where he's feel, felt 
um, a different, like had a different experience, which then means the conditioning is changed and you want to upkeep that, you know? And I think that's, um, that's really cool that there's people like you out there doing it because it's a lot of work to have lots of dogs, especially undesirable behaviors, you know, always around you. And, and, you know, we used to do dog minding. So like, you know, up to 10 dogs um, at a time in our yard. And I know how much effort and work that takes. So um, so good work, man. I'm happy you're doing that. Um, uh, and thank I, you. And, and, and like I said, it's not just me. I've got a team here, but sure. those dogs, like it's not fair to them to to go to put that hard burn on them, right? That that beauty about the board and train is it can be a nice slow burn. Like rather than get that dog out and working for 20 minutes, half an hour, I can get that dog out and working for five to 10 minutes half a dozen times a day. Perfect. Right? And you can yep. learn something, a nice slow burn. And we all learn from being tired, not when we're tired, right? True, like, true. I like tired, that. How, quick, how much quicker do we get frustrated and irritated? Yeah. Right? Like, let's take it in slow burns, learn something, put the dog away, let him think about it, get him back out later, work him again, you know, get in his head. Like, I had a dog, a client come here for a three-hour session once, and this dog just wanted to kill me, man. he come out. He had his harness on, his muzzle on. I got all that all that stuff off him, just put my rope on. And I had this dog working great, but every time I touched him, he gave him a pat, he wanted to kill me again. And I said to these guys, look, it's not that I want your money, but I can do something with this dog if I have him here for, for three, four weeks for a board and train. I, he's not going to be magically cured, but we're going to work with him. After day four, and this dog, I've done nothing with him for four days, but just go in his kennel, sit with him, and feed him out of my hands. After day four... I'd wake up in the morning as soon as he hear me put my Crocs on because I wear the best foot croc footwear in the world, right? <laughs> as I come out and put my Crocs on, he would be whinging at the kennel, grinding on the kennel. And after four weeks, it was like he was my own dog, right? And the, the clients couldn't believe it. And anyways, I come back from work the other day. I was doing something off-site and there was just – I walked past the kennel and then one of the doors, we got one of these new kennels and the door was thumping. I'm like, what the hell is going on there? And I like this dog. Also, I looked up and this dog just yapped. It wasn't like a bark, just yap, yap, yap. And I looked over and there's that dog just here for boarding. And I just opened the door, like, and we're on like 15 acres here, like I said, and the, our front paddock's pretty contained. We've got all these new kennels that are, I'm very OCD, so they're all identical and whatever. And I, I can't I wait to come paddock. and see it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I let this dog out and he was just all over me like a six month old pup licking me. I'm on the floor rolling around. He's licking my ears. And I'm like, six months ago, you wanted to kill me, mate. Like, mm -hmm. And that's because we took the time, yep. you know, we didn't try and rush him, just just chill out, like take a breath. If there's one thing I learned with the sheepdogs, people say when things aren't going to plan, roll a smoke. <laughs> give it some time. Just take it, stand there, just take a yep. breath. Yeah. Give everything an opportunity, you know, like I think one I mentioned before, like we're all on the clock so hard that we forget, you know, just, just yep. to chill out and just. It works with true. animals, not robots. That's so true. Well, I guess the last question I have for you is um, I'm really passionate about the fact that, yes, we train dogs to do things, but it's really important that we take the time to acknowledge that dogs are teaching us valuable things all the time. And is there one thing that you can share with us about what dogs have taught you? Patience, brother. Mm -hmm. I'm of a European heritage, right? Maltese blood running through these veins. Patience isn't one of our, our strongest points, um, you know, like and coming from, you know, living, living in, in the outside within the Western Sydney and, and the outskirts of Sydney my whole life, you know, or the Hawkesbury these days, like, you know, always it's easy to get stuck in that rat race, like I mentioned, and, you know, just, just patience. Like we're not dealing with machines. We're dealing with 
living, breathing animals, and they're the dogs that are man's best friend. That that that's an understatement, right? Uh, patience, and if it doesn't work today, take a breath, put him away, get him out tomorrow, try again. That's right? the best. Oh, I just think they make they make they make us better people, right? Like, yep. you know, like yes. The, I love the things that. dogs have done for me, they made me grow as a person. And yep. man, I was I actually had this conversation with someone this morning, and um, actually someone working out west and we're having a chat about work dogs. And he said, "You enjoy it?" I said, "Mate, yes, I get paid to do what I do because if I didn't, the bank wouldn't be very happy. But if I was a millionaire, I would still do it, yep. and I just wouldn't charge for it." Because mm-hmm. for us here, it's just all about that dog. I'm just very fortunate that working with dogs happens to pay my bills. I love that, bro. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Before you leave, just let everyone know where they can find you, um, information about um, your work, but also the podcast as well. Um, so, yeah. No worries. No, so um, work-wise, uh, Hooked on Hounds, you can find us on any of the socials or on our website um, and our podcast podcast is dog talk um you can find us on spotify or apple play or you can just get our website as well www.dogtalk.t-o-r-q-u-e like power.com um and yeah and if anyone ever sees me around the traps whether it be at a sheepdog troll anywhere just come and say g'day say hi don't be afraid i promise i'm not gonna bite your head off <laughs> like um we're only gonna get better in this industry if we all work together um yep. you know and um i know yeah there is a different push you mentioned us being balanced trainers before i consider myself do whatever i think i need to for the dog that's in front of me um, but there's no reason that any of us can't work together where it's the balanced community the positive community what's matter it should be about the dog not our egos 100 percent, bro great that we finished it there we're both getting tongue twisted and you finish on some wise words so thanks bro and i'm sure we'll get you on again to educate us more about sheep herding because i've learned a lot today thanks bro thank you cheers thank you for listening to another episode of life with your dog please share with your friends if you're enjoying our podcast and leave a review on apple Podcasts to help others find the show you can also find us on instagram and facebook life with your dog podcast my name's panos and to keep up with my dog training adventures tips and techniques you can find me on instagram at NP underscore dog underscore training, my website, npdogtraining.com, or my YouTube channel, Nutris Pooches. Thanks for listening, guys. My name's Luke. If you'd like to find out more about my dog training services, you can find me at www.kizuna, that's K I Z U N A, canine, C A N I N E, dot com dot au. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at Kizuna Canine Training. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.